You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. It's all verses 13 to 23. Let me read. I'm reading from the CSB translation. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I will say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever bind on earth will be been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me. Satan, for you are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God concerns, but human concerns. This is the word of God, and you may be seated. Holy Spirit, come upon me now and help me to deliver this word to your people here in this appointed time. So, Father, for this is for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. Well, it would be an understatement in saying that we have reached some kind of turning point here in America. It is very hard finding solidarity in this present generation on basic beliefs things that humans and civilizations have believed down through the ages. But for those of us who are professing Christians today, somewhere on this earthly pilgrimage, we all came to believe in this gospel story concerning the life of Jesus. But it seems 
that in every generation, the question always arises again and again, who is the Son of Man? Who is this Jesus, the Christ? Well, we see here in our text that Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, which is located at the northernmost border of Israel. And geographically, this is the place where Israel boundary ends and the world where religious pluralism abounds. The temples of the Syrian god of Baal is there. The temple of the Greek god Pan is there. And the temple Roman godhead of Caesar himself, they all are there and they all stand. But it's in this location where Jesus puts two of the most, and I say two of the most important questions to every disciple who seeks to follow him genuinely. And with the backdrop of the world, religious pluralism in view, Jesus proceeded to ask his beloved disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In verse 14, and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. This is very interesting to me because there is something that's very important about the answers that the disciples give in the reply to Jesus' question. Their answers reveal that the people in whom they are interacting with are people who have some understanding of the Old Testament or the book of the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, the Torah. We here today, and those of you on Zoom, we would call this that they have a biblical culture and a society, a society where people have been taught the basic teachings and the stories from the word of God. You couldn't just say John the Baptist if you never heard of John the Baptist. You must have been reading something. You couldn't just say Jeremiah unless you had some idea of the Old Testament narrative to be able to say that. And so the disciples say, this is what they're saying about you. You're one of the prophets. You're Elijah, John the Baptist, and etc. So you would say this is someone of a biblical literate culture. But I would make the argument here today that one of the reasons that we are finding it, it very difficult to find solidarity in these times on basic beliefs here in our culture and our generation is because of the pagan world of religious pluralism has invaded every sector of our Western society with all of its plurality of anti 
biblical tenets. I would say it's hard to find just solidarity. I know that's been true for me in this past year in 2020. On Facebook, I just put little things out there and I, whoa, what is this? Where's this coming from? I thought we all believe the same thing. But I'm finding that there has been an avalanche of beliefs of different religious pluralism that are anti-biblical, anti-word of God that have invaded our culture. But Jesus in his wisdom in his infinite wisdom and knowledge. He knows when and how, that's what I love about Jesus, how to ask the right questions. He knows when and how to do it. Jesus is, is smart, he's wise. And so in verse 15, he says, he turns to his disciples, he says, but you, he asked them, the disciples, who do you say that I am? And this is a question to all the disciples of him, the church, those who are followers of the way, abiding in the eternal truth and in him which was life, John 1, 4, and the life was the light of men that we must always answer correctly. Jesus says, who do you say to the church? Who do you say to those who are following him? Who do you say that I am? And we must always be able to answer that question correctly. Because based upon how you answer that question will depend on how and what you and how you live. So Jesus says, who do you say? that I am. Not what the pagan, pluralistic world thinks of me. I'm asking you, church, church from all times, universal church, who do you say that I am? And we know that Peter answered correctly by saying, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. This is important. Jesus said, Peter, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father, who's in heaven, has revealed this to you. But this Messiah, it means that God sent the Messiah, which he had promised to send in the Garden of Eden, when the first man and his wife transgressed the command of God. And therefore, God, in Genesis 3.15, we know the story that God there, what we call the first mention of the gospel, God made a promise that he would do something, that he would send the Messiah. And he says in verse 15 of Genesis 3, he says, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, the great cosmic war. And then he says, but he will strike your head. Talking about Jesus, the Messiah who would come into this world. 
and you, serpent, and you will strike his heel. We know that this is referring to the cross, that Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, and the serpent struck his heel. And we know from 2 Corinthians 5.21 that the heart of the gospel, that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, what a gospel. He who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason, saints, that we must always be diligent in always answering this question that put, that Jesus put the disciples then and now is for this very reason. So you see here in verse 21 of the text, after Peter made this great profession of faith, it says in verse 21, it says, and from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and to be killed and to be raised on the third day. But one of the disciples, Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord. <laughs> we got to change that script. <laughs> you don't need to die. You don't need to become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, no, there's a better way to do it. So he began to rebuke him. And he says, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. In Mark 8, 33, parallel to this text, it says that Jesus spoke to all of his disciples, because all of them were in alignment with Peter and his views about why Jesus should not make his way to old Golgotha, up the hill in Jerusalem where he would become sin for us on our behalf so that we here today who believe that we could receive the righteousness that comes by faith in believing in that old gospel story. Why is this so important, saints? What's going on with the disciples in this story in Caesarea Philippi and I would add here, and the disciples of today. Because in every generation, the church somehow loses sight and understanding of this gospel story. And we began to fall for the false gospel remedies that come from the pluralistic world all around us as Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, to this present age. And the church has this, has the tendency to always to be lured away from the gospel and to be lured into false gospel remedies. And there are many among us today here in America 
Because when you lose sight of what the disciples tried to stop our Lord from going to the cross, because I say here, and one of the things that we begin to do, we begin to turn and to begin to see that it's a social issue versus being a sin issue of the human heart. It's, it's a slippery slope that, that our issues are always out there, never in here. When I came to Fairfield, it's, it's the social conditions of Fairfield, not knowing that, no, all of us are born with an inward heart bent towards sin. And so we're always trying to find some remedy outside of the finished work of the cross to be the solution to the human condition. So it's a social issue and not a sin issue. When we lose sight of the story of the gospel, it's why the disciples, no, Lord, you don't need to go to the cross. We're okay. We just need a little help. It's not really what's on the inside of us that has caused this great mess in the world. It's something out there that we need to fix. And Jesus said, oh, no, you're not thinking like God. God can see your sins from afar. Oh, it's inside of you where we get all of these evil inclinations. The second thing that we do when we lose sight of this gospel story, we think that the government and the politics of this world can repair the sin issue. Oh, did not the church fall for that okie doke? That's the way we say it down in Sardis. They did not fall into that trap of the evil one to think that the governments of this world can fix the human condition. I love politics, and people have asked me, Pastor Hardy, you know, you can talk pretty well. Should you consider a politician? I said, no, I'm called to be a gospel preacher and to proclaim that thing that the disciples tried to stop on that day in Caesarea Philippi, that we are sinful. And I love having some politicians friends, but I'm here to tell you, politicians and governments of this world cannot fix the sinful condition of men and women. And so on my third point here, when we lose sight of the awe and the wonder of the gospel, therefore we end up doing what the disciples did that day in Caesarea Philippi. We try, unknowingly, inadvertently, we try stopping him. We stop believing that he is the Messiah that God promised in the very first book of the Bible. That when the first man and woman sinned, God says the only way they can get back right with me, one who is, is perfect and always must die for them to be brought back into perfect harmony. And so we stop believing that he is the Messiah, the one who is everything that the human heart longs for, and I would say needs. My brothers and sisters, Let's not lose hope in that story. He is the Messiah. He was promised in Genesis 3, and he came. He had to die. And I know the church has gotten caught up in all kinds of ways. It's a social issue. It's a social gospel that can fix the, the, the ethnic hostility. Oh, there's only one thing that can fix the hostility that exists among all the ethnic nations. And his name, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, 
Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the only one that can make us whole. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. I pray now, Lord, that you would take this word and use it for your own glory's sake. I pray our hearts have been smitten at the fact that you have not left us to ourselves to fix our own lives, but you sent your son, the Messiah, who would be killed, who would die, who would suffer, who would rise again, so that we could be made right with you. This I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.